Dear Christian friends, just a real, real brief word association game. I'll say a, a phrase, and you tell me what comes to mind. It's just one. State Farm. Insurance. Goodness. Nobody said Aaron Rodgers. Whew. Thank goodness. There are a lot of words you could have said, but I think I did hear somebody actually mention good neighbor, right? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Of course, they've got humorous commercials and NFL sponsors, and you know Jake from State Farm. State Farm has invested a lot of money to see that you associate their name, their brand, with that concept of being a good neighbor. A good neighbor makes sense for an insurance company who wants you to think of them in any moment of need, who wants you to think of them when there's a potential risk, who wants you to think of them as being just a phone call away, though maybe you're not to expect somebody to show up in khakis and and a red polo, but, but that they're available and present like a good neighbor. Now, the point of that, of course, is not to just leave you with a, a chuckle as you're considering the, the commercials. And, and I get no uh, any sort of kickback if you switch over to State Farm a, after this morning. The whole point, rather, is the concept of a good neighbor. And to see that application in our own lives this morning as well. To focus particularly on and, and to walk away this morning realizing that, that when I think of a good neighbor, I want to think of myself. I want you to think of, of you. More importantly, what, what Jesus has made you to be. A good neighbor. And more specifically, what is a good neighbor as Jesus has made you to be? A good neighbor is one who loves others. A loving neighbor. And to help us grasp that this morning, Jesus not only teaches, but also shows us what a good, a loving neighbor looks like. And he used a very familiar account to convey that, to teach us what a loving neighbor looks like. The account of the Good Samaritan, as you heard in the Gospel this morning. One that is, in fact, quite familiar, that even unbeliever and believer alike know the gist of the story. That's one of those words or phrases, Good Samaritan, that is actually stuck in our vernacular as a culture, as a society that comes from from Scripture. You've maybe read a a news article of somebody, uh, a bystander, rushing to the rescue in a burning vehicle to save somebody, and and the journalist, the writer, described that individual as a good Samaritan. And people know what they mean by that concept. Good Samaritan is somebody who does the right thing, who who treats others kindly. There's even Good Samaritan laws. Maybe you think of the season finale from Seinfeld when they all ended up in jail because they watched across the street and did nothing as a crime was being committed on the other side. We know what it looks like to be a good Samaritan. At least we're familiar with the account. Jesus then uses that to help us understand. And he does so as he he is approached by an, an Old Testament expert in the law. And Luke makes it clear to us that that expert in the law came to Jesus with with a very clear purpose or a focus. Luke introduces it saying, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That's why he was there, to put Jesus to the test, to put him on the spot. And yet, as Jesus does time and again in scriptures, he flips the script, he turns the table, and Jesus becomes the one who then administers the test to this expert in the Old Testament 
law? The expert came really with one question. He asked him basically the summary, what must I do? What must I do? A question that all of us are accustomed to asking in various phases of life. The, the student asks, what must I do to make the grade in a class? The employee asks, what must I do to get a raise or to satisfy my boss? The spouse asks, what must I do to ease the tension and keep the peace in my, my marriage? We're all used to asking that question all the time. What do I have to do? What's required of me? What's the expectation? And the expert in the law asks the same thing. And he knew that the answer wasn't all that complicated at all. In fact, it was quite simple, quite straightforward, and, and you know what the answer is as well. What do you have to do? Well, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing, and you'll be fine. And Jesus commended the expert in the law when he explained what the right thing was, that he knew exactly what was required of him. His response to, to Jesus when he says, well, how do you read the law? He said, Here's what I must do in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus sends him on his way. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The account, the exchange between Jesus and the expert in the law could have, should have stopped right there. There wasn't anything else that, that needed clarification, right? It was a straightforward question, straightforward answer. What do I have to do? Well, do the right thing. Love everybody. Love God. Okay. All right. Now go do that. Why doesn't it stop there? Why is there more to the story? Here's why. Three-letter word. But. The expert in the law had to continue that dialogue in the same way that we do each and every time that we are faced with the unrealistic demands of God's law. Just do the right thing. Love God and love your neighbor. Okay, I get it. But, what about when it's not terribly convenient for me to do that? What about when it requires sacrifice on my part? But what about when, when I have to get my own act together, my own house in order, and I don't have the resources to help out my neighbor? But what about when, and the list goes on and on and on and on, and every time that we raise that question, you know exactly what we're doing, what the expert in the law was doing. He's looking for some sort of a loophole. There's got to be an exception clause. Okay, Jesus, I get it. I know what is required of me. Do the right thing. But we all know that that's not realistic. We all know that that's impossible for us. So what I need from you, Jesus, is, is give me these, these clauses. Give me the little asterisk, the little the fine print that lets me know where this doesn't apply to me. It lets me know where the exceptions to these rules are. That demonstrates that this expert in the law, as well as each and every one of us, every time that we ask that question, but we recognize that the law convicts and accuses. Recognize that that requirement that God lays out is absolutely impossible for us to keep. And here's the other thing that we mix up about the law by nature. We're inclined to make the law about ourselves in this way. 
If I keep this, what's in it for me, Lord? What is the reward? What are you going to do for me if I can follow through with this demand that you have on my part? And that fails to grasp that that's not the purpose of the law at all. In fact, the purpose of the law that was, was given, when you think of it, love God and love others, carrying out the law is for other people's benefit. It's not for me to get ahead. It's not for me to somehow buy into this lie that I can perfectly please God by keeping the law. That's impossible. The law guides me in serving my neighbor, putting others first. The law is not about me and what's, what's in it. What's the, the reward for me? So go back to that, that student who's asking the question, what must I do to, to make the grade? The point is not getting a good grade in the class. The point is learning, gaining knowledge so that you can, can serve, so that you're equipped to, to work down the road. And when it comes to asking that question, the employee of the employer, the point is not, can I get a raise, what is required there? But the, the point is rather to, to do a good job as an employee, to, to work with your coworkers, to help contribute to what your company is offering or whatever product is being served. And then when you do all of those things, yes, it, people take notice and raises and promotions happen. In, in marriage, the goal is not just to keep the peace, but to love and serve your spouse. All of these things point to and reflect that the law is, is for keeping for the benefit of other people. It's not about you and me. And yet, in another sense, it is about you and me because you notice what this teacher in the law asked when he pushed Jesus a little bit more. He says to Jesus, And, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, that's the wrong question, isn't it? The better question is, and am I a neighbor to anybody in need? Because the answer to who is my neighbor is, is everybody. It's anybody that's in need. It's, it's all of you are, are my neighbors. The real question, the, the tough question, the challenging question is, am I the loving neighbor? Am I being the neighbor that Jesus has made me out to be? And here's why that dialogue had to continue. Because the, the, the individual, this expert in the law, wouldn't have known this by nature if Jesus would have stopped when he said, hey, good job, you got it, love God, love others, be on your way. That man would have gone on the rest of his life, just like we do day in and day out, looking for loopholes, looking for excuses, looking for exceptions. So Jesus had to tell a story that would poke at and peer into his heart to see the pride that we all carry around with us. That is exactly what is exposed when we look at the story that Jesus told. Consider the first two individuals that passed by this, this beaten, left-for-dead man on the side of the road. A priest of all people. Now, rationally, he could have concluded, you know what, I'm a priest. If this man's dead, that means I'm unclean and I can't perform my duties. I can't carry out what is expected of me as a priest. So surely it makes sense that I would sidestep, that I would avoid this individual and, and, and not risk being unclean. And yet, nobody who would have heard Jesus tell this story had any other expectation than that that priest should have helped that man in need. And the same for the very next individual, the Levite who could have justified, who could have said, well, wait a minute, yes, I'm of the same order of that, that priest, and the priest didn't help him, so he must know, he knows the law better than I do, he must know something I don't, so I should probably avoid this man in need as well. 
And yet, anybody listening to the story that Jesus was telling, everyone would have concluded, no, 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 the Levite should have helped the man too. And then Jesus shocks us all. Because the one individual that we would understand not helping, the Samaritan, is the one who does that very thing. And, and to, to put this into perspective, think of the tension that exists, and it's more than tension, it's animosity between the, the Israelis and the Palestinians right now. Long before you and I were ever even alive, that, that animosity has existed. This is the tension. This was the relationship the racism that existed between the Samaritan and we presume the Jewish individual on the side of the road left for dead. But the Samaritan didn't raise any questions. He didn't ask, well, what's the exception? How do I, how do I get out of this situation? I mean, he could have. He could have said, if, if this guy, if he were conscious, he wouldn't even want me to help him. He would want nothing to do with me as a Samaritan. So I'm justified in, in not helping him. That's what he would want. But the Samaritan didn't ask, what's in it for me? The Samaritan didn't reason or justify that, that they were enemies and, and this was just the proper way that, that people would have reflected on this account. He simply said, am I going to be a neighbor to this individual in need? And he was. A loving neighbor that didn't ask, well, can I make the sacrifice? A loving neighbor that didn't say, well, can I call somebody else to come and help? A loving neighbor that instead used his own oil, his own bandages, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn to be cared for, and, and, and took out of his own pocket the money to say, whatever his needs are, I will cover it. Didn't ask, well, is this an inconvenience? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Or were these other things that I'm saving up for? He was simply a loving neighbor to the individual in need. Jesus is the one telling the story. Jesus is also the individual in the story who helped, who was the perfectly loving neighbor. But that, that individual on the side of the road, the, the beaten and left for dead individual, that's, that's you and me. And our sin deserved to be left there. But Jesus not only bent over, not only risked himself, but actually sacrificed himself to make you and me alive. Now, I, I hope I, I don't get into any trouble uh, for encouraging you to do this because normally we would discourage any kind of comparison. But in this case, here's an exception. When it comes to the, the question that the expert in the law asked, the same one we all ask when faced with the law, but, but what about this exception? Jesus also has a but when he deals with you and me. But I want you to compare the two. When we respond with a, a but trying to get out of something, and look at how Jesus responds. And, and this came up in, in our Bible study in Ephesians this last week. There are a lot of big buts in the Bible. This is one of the biggest. And, and I want you to, as I read through these verses from Ephesians, and listen to what Paul is describing, imagine him describing in very, very clear, very convicting terms that individual on the side of the road who's dead in sin, you and me. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is that description. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Compare our, but trying to get out of the law, out of keeping it, looking for loopholes, looking for exceptions. Lord, there's got to be a but here somewhere. And compare that to God's but. You were dead in your sin. You deserved hell and condemnation. But I was not going to let that be the end of your story. So I did not, like the priest and the Levite, pass you over and leave you for the death eternally that you deserved. For every time that you have ignored the needs of others, have come up with excuses, have put yourself first, I did not let you experience what you deserved to be the rotting corpse on the side of the road. But I made you alive in Christ Jesus because I love you. My mercy, my grace prompted me to not leave you where you deserved for our selfishness, for our pride, for every other sin that we have racked up against a holy, righteous God. See how different our butt is trying to get out of God's perfect law and how God's butt is, I'm not going to leave you with what you deserve, but raise you to life. And yes, has made you and me to be loving neighbors to others. And it's only understanding that gospel, it's only understanding that God didn't leave us dead on the side of the road in our sin and transgression that then allows us to follow in the footsteps of the encouragement that Jesus gave to that teacher of the law. After he tells this parable, he sends him off and he says, Go and do likewise. I have saved you. I have made you alive. I have cared for you like a loving, good neighbor. Now you are free to do the same. So, brothers and sisters, where are the opportunities that God places in your life? Not to ask who else is a good neighbor, but rather to ask yourself where and when and how can I be a loving neighbor to somebody else who has needs that I can meet, not only when it's convenient, who has needs that I can meet that might require sacrifice on my part, that just is a, a glimpse, just a, a taste, a fraction of the depth and degree of sacrifice that my Savior has made for me. Where can I carry that on and pass that forward, to pay it forward to, to others, to love them in the way that my Savior has loved me? You have a challenge card. And the goal of that is not just to fill it out and, and drop it in the box and then forget about it. The goal, the challenge, is that compelled by, moved by, realizing who Jesus has made you to be. To set yourself apart from the rest of the world. Don't justify 
indifference and a lack of love and care and selfishness that is so characteristic of the world. You've been rescued from the side of the road. You've been rescued from more than that, from, from an eternity separated from God. So what Jesus did for you, he now equips you to go and do likewise. And he'll give you the grace and equip you with it to be the loving neighbor that he calls you to be. Amen.